Podcast, Chapter 39. Dear Jason, I hate you, Cross. Please give me back my pencil, or else I'm going to punch you in the face, Cross, for following reasons. Number one, it's mine. Two, you have so many pencils, including two really cool bendable ones you don't even use. It's totally unfair. Cross that off. Three, that pencil costs a lot of money, and I know you saw us at Macy's, but we were just pretending, Cross. Just looking. We do not have savings. Four, that pencil is really important to me. You have no idea how much it means to me. Cross that. Sincerely, Mia. I crossed out number four because I knew he wouldn't care. If anything, it would only make him want to keep the pencil even more, just to irritate me. Wasn't that what this was all about? The phone started ringing and I put my pencil down. It was Mr. Yao. I frowned. Now what? Tell your parents I'm going to be gone this weekend, he said. I half-listened as he explained how he was taking his family to Las Vegas. I was in no mood to listen to his vacation plans. What are you telling me this for, I said in the phone. I'm telling you because you guys keep having all those issues with the cable, he said. If you have any while I'm gone, I left Jose's number with my housekeeper. I sat up on the stool. So you're not going to be at your house this weekend? That's right. None of you? Not even Jason? Right. It occurred to me that there could be an opportunity here. Lupe was less enthused when I told her my plan. I don't know, she said. What do you mean? All we have to do is go over to his house after school and tell the housekeeper that we're from the Girl Scouts and we're going, we're here to sell cookies. Then we'll ask her if we can use the bathroom and when we're using the bathroom, I'll sneak into Jason's room and get my pencil back. I had been over the plan with her three times already. It was perfect. Lupe looked away. I don't want to get in trouble, she said. You're not going to get in trouble, I said. They're out of town. It'll just be their housekeeper. If anyone is even there, the whole thing's only going to take like five minutes, tops. Lupe shook her head. I crossed my arms. I was beginning to get really tired of this. You know you always do this, I said to her. Do what? Chicken out. What do you mean, she asked. The fact that she didn't even know what I was talking about was even more infuriating. You never stand up for me, I said to her. I thought you were my friend. You don't get it, do you? Get what? Nothing. Forget it. There was no mistaking it, the anger in her eyes. What are you talking about, I asked her. I'm talking about you. You're going to Vermont. You can say all this crazy stuff to Jason because he likes you, she exclaimed. What about me? I blinked in confusion. I can't go with you to Mr. Yao's house, she said. My dad still needs Mr. Yao. Lupe squeezed her eyes shut. Unlike you, we don't have other plans. Front Desk, Chapter 40 The storm in Lupe's face stuck with me after she left. I felt sick with regret making her feel this way. After all she'd done for me, Lupe was my best friend, and she was the one who told me about the roller coaster in the first place. If it wasn't for her, I wouldn't even know about it. And there I was going on and on about my plans to get off of it without even thinking about her. It should be her entering the contest, not me. Let's face it, she had much better chance at winning anyway. I decided to write her a letter. Dear Lupe, I'm sorry I said all those things. I completely understood. Cross that off. Understand if you don't want me to go to Mr. Yao's house. Actually, I've been thinking about it, and I don't think I'm going to go neither. Cross either. You're right. It's too risky. We have to be careful. I might have a plan, but for now... We still works, cross that off, work for him. And as you say, we still need him. 
about the plan, I've been thinking, why don't you enter the essay contest? I can tell you what to write about. You probably have a better shoot, cross that off shot at winning it. Your grammar is a lot better than mine. If you win, maybe we can run it together. What do you think? Your friend, Mia. The next day, the next school day, I went very early to school to put the letter on Lupe's desk. I also had something special for Jason, but it wasn't the letter I wrote him. It was something else I had picked up recently from another Chinese immigrant. When I was helping his uncle with his luggage, I'd pulled out too hard and got a blister on my hand. The man said he had just the thing. He gave me a little vial of Chinese medicine. It felt minty and cool on my fingers, but when I reached up to tuck my bangs behind my ears, my minty fingers got a little too close to my eyes and I started crying in seconds. So after I let Lupe, after I set Lupe's letter down on her desk, I practically soaked Jason's pencil with the same stuff that had made me cry. Let's see him twirl these suckers now. Jason did not notice the gleam on his pencils when he sat down later that morning. He was too be- he was too busy bragging about Las Vegas and all the great food he ate and the luxurious suite he stayed in. They had a pool with three pool slides. There was even a restaurant right smack in the. When are you going to give me my pencil back? I asked. I wanted to cut the chase. I couldn't care less about his fancy pools, considering I stared at one all day long. You mean my pencil? He shrugged. I gave it to my dog, Wealthy. It's probably all chewed up by now. He would give it to his dog, and he would name a dog named Wealthy. Jason smirked, picked up one of his pencils, and started twirling it around. He twirled it a little too close to his face, and just as I predicted, the strong minty smell made his eyes water. He put the pencil down and began rubbing his eyes furiously with his mental fingers. Big mistake. Oh my god, Jason's crying, one of the classmates exclaimed. No, I'm not, Jason insisted, blinking furiously. But it was too late. Everyone ran over, huddled next to Jason. It wasn't every day a kid in fifth grade started bawling. Fourth grade, maybe, but not fifth grade. We watched with wide eyes as Jason cried and cried. Sunlight flooded in through the tall glass windows, and Jason's tears glistened in the warm peach glow. I couldn't stop smiling the whole time. It was a beautiful, beautiful day. Front Desk, Chapter 41 The only thing that could make the day more beautiful was to change the chance of Lupe forgiving me. I watched as she read my letters, and smiled bloomed across her face. So you'll do it? You'll enter the contest? I asked her. Lupe chuckled. Oh no, if you want to win a motel, you're going to have to win it yourself, she said. But I will help you with your grammar. I threw my arms around her, and I'm sorry about what I said about you and Jason. You guys are not the same at all, Lupe said into my ear. I skipped all the way home that day, riding the wave of hope and promise, a glorious wave so strong and powerful, I thought it would never end. But then I turned onto Coast Boulevard. Everything was crashing down. My mother was lying by the side of the road. Blood, a thick gooey red, gushed down the side of her face. Mom! I screamed. With her shivering hand, she touched her stomach, then started at her fingertips, blinking in disbelief as she registered the color. Shaking, she told me what happened. While I was at school, some people came and tried to break into the front office. They were after the cash register. My mom heard them and rushed downstairs. The first kick to my mom's stomach landed in a thud. She had screamed in pain and fallen to the ground. My father was in the laundry room and couldn't hear her over the roar of the washing machine, but Hank heard the scream. He came running out of the room just as the second kick landed to my mother's head. Oh, mom, I hugged her and cried. Her lips were cut open and she could barely thaw. She took off running when they saw Hank. 
she cried, but Hank ran after them. I'd never seen him so angry. He's still out there. Suddenly, I heard my dad's voice. Mia, my father called. I looked over at him. He was standing by the laundry room, carrying an armful of towels. When he saw my mother on the ground, the towels fell from his hands. He ran towards her. The pain that whipped across his face when he got up close and saw my mom was indescribable. He collapsed on the ground next to her, his voice shaking as he told her it was going to be okay. Carefully, I helped my mom up from the curb and brought her into the manager's quarters. We got her into bed, where I put an ice pack on her head and a hot water bottle over her tummy. The wound had turned deep purple. Whenever I lifted the blanket to look, my mom grimaced. My dad paced the living room. I should have been, it should have been me, not you, he said. I should have been me. It's fine, my mom insisted, trying to sit up straighter only to collapse back down before it was too painful. We have to take her to the hospital, I said to her dad. I said to dad, no, my mom said coughing, we don't have any insurance. Going to the hospital will kill us. My dad plunged her head into his hands. I realized he was crying. How did we get here, he muttered over and over again. How did we get here? I walked over to my room and retrieved a Ziploc bag of tips. I have some money, I said. My parents were so busy crying and coughing, they didn't even hear me. You guys, I have some money, I yelled. My father drove as quickly as he could. Hang on, he said. We're almost there. I sat in the back, clutching my Ziploc bag full of money with one hand and holding my mother with the other. The doctor in the ER saw my mom right away. He was a white guy and seemed really concerned. He asked my mom whether she was dizzy. She said no. He asked my mom whether she remembered blacking out when she hit the ground. She said maybe. She wasn't sure. He asked her to describe the pain on a scale of 1 to 10. I thought for sure she would say 10 or 11 from the way she kept grinding her teeth and wincing every time she moved, but she insisted it was more like a 7. We took her in for an x-ray. My dad and I waited outside because they said it wasn't good for kids to be in an x-ray room. When at last the doctor reappeared, he had good news. None of your mom's bones are broken. She had a mild concussion and the doctor gave her painkillers and bandages for the bleeding, which thankfully was just on the outside, not in the inside. Make sure she takes it easy the next few days, he said. Use an ice pack for 10 to 20 minutes at a time. Gradually the swelling will go down and so will the bruising. No work, no gym. My dad laughed out loud when he said gym. I guess the idea of my mom or any of us going to the gym was pretty funny. My dad promised she wouldn't and thanked the doctor. His smile faded when the doctor gave him the bill. I peeked around his arm and read the paper too. The total came to $5,800. My dad gripped the counter to keep from falling. I thought he was going to have a concussion. Frantically, he explained to the nurses in his broken English that we didn't have any insurance. No insurance? The nurses asked exasperatedly. How could you have no insurance? The nurses stared long and hard at us. These aliens, insuranceless creatures, they told us to wait while they got up and got their supervisor. Ten minutes later, the supervisor appeared. He was another white guy, stern-looking, about 40 years old. As we explained our insuranceless situation to him, he looked like he was about he was about as much he looked like he had about as much empathy as a Lego. He asked us to fill out a bunch of special forms for low-income people. We'll only waive the hospital bill if you make less than the federal property income guidelines for a family of three, he said. He started filling out the form. Since my parents made about $750 a month, that came to about $9,000 a year. The property line for a family in our size was 11890 so we were well below the, proper, the poverty line. But the form, she asked us, 
how much we paid in rent. We put down zero because technically we got free boarding living in the manager's quarters. The supervisor looked at that and started shaking his head. Free rent? I'm sorry, but I don't think you qualify, he said. What do you mean, my mom asked. You can't get free rent and free health care, he said, crossing his arms. But we're dirt poor, I said. It says so right here. I held a poverty chart on the form he gave us. There it was, clear as day, how categorically, how categorically poor we were. He took a long look at us. I bet you guys aren't even citizens. We looked at the floor. No, didn't think so. You'll have to take it up with the billing and collections. They'll decide whether you qualify for full waiver or not. But I doubt it, he said. Until then, the most I can give you is 40% discount. So you'll still need to pay. He pulled out a calculator and started crunching the numbers. $3,480, he announced. At this point, my mom started crying. So, let us out a sob so thunderous, I wondered if my cousins in China could hear her. I'd never seen her cry like that before, not even when she was lying on the side of the street. The doctor who had been examining her ran over to see what was wrong. When I explained the situation to him, he turned angrily to the hospital supervisor. You want to charge these poor people $3,480? Can't you see that she just got the crap beat out of her? He asked, the supervisor almost yelling. The supervisor looked sheepish, but insisted on having a word with the doctor in private. We held our breaths as the two of them walked into the room and closed the door. We could see them arguing through the glass window. The doctor's arms kept flying and the supervisor's head kept shaking. When they came out, my father held my hand so tight it hurt. The supervisor spoke first. We've decided. In light of the circumstances, he started to say, we're going to waive the fees, the doctor blurted out. Really? My mom asked. She peered at the doctor with her big bruised, bruised eyes. Big brown bruised eyes. Really, the doctor said. I threw my arms around him. My mother collapsed into my dad. The supervisor cleared his throat. There's still a basic hospital fee of $150 you'll need to pay, he said. I held up my Ziploc bag full of dollar bills and quarters. I've got it right here. I'd be lying if I said it didn't hurt, handing over my Ziploc bag. All those nights, I stayed up secretly counting the money with a flashlight and the adrenaline and the excitement coursing through me. In a flash, it was all gone. But another part of me felt tremendously proud to be able to pay for the first visit to the doctor in a country with my money I'd earned all by myself. When we got home, my dad and I helped my mom into bed. We thought it would be a good idea for her to sleep there for a while so that we wouldn't be jolted awake at night by the sound of the front desk buzzer. How come you didn't tell us you had all that money, my mom asked. I shrugged. Well, thank you, honey, my mom said. She put her arms around me and hugged me tight. Thank you for spending it on your old mom. My dad came in and set down the tea, bathing the room in jasmine. Get some sleep, my dad said to my mom, kissing the top of her head. My mom reached for my dad's hand. Hey, <clears throat> hey, my mom said to my dad, thanks for taking me to the hospital. My dad turned away from her. What's wrong? My mom asked him. He shook his head. He had a great big teardrop in his eyes. What is it? My mother asked softly. I promised when I married you that I'd take care of you, he said in a small voice, and I failed you. I sucked in a breath. I looked over at my mom who sat there calmly and hand draped casually over her wound. Quit feeling so sorry for yourself, my mom said to my dad. I'll decide when you've failed me, and you're not even close. In that moment, I realized how deep my parents' love for each other was. It was deeper than anything Mr. Yao or America could throw at them. My dad chuckled and kissed my mom's bruised lips. What did I ever do to deserve you, he asked. 
That night, I did not go to sleep. I stayed up late writing to Hank to come home and writing a letter to the doctor who helped me mom. Uh, writing a letter to the doctor who helped my mom. Dear doctor, thank you for helping my mom. She's sleeping now. She asked before she fell asleep if there are, um, if there was any more stinky tofu in the cupboard, so I think she's going to be okay. You're the first doctor we've ever seen in America. To be honest, I was always a little scared of you. My parents said we should never see you unless we were seriously about to die, and even then we should think about it. That's because you're really expensive. I always thought that made you kind of mean, but tonight I learned you're not mean at all. In fact, you're very kind. Thank you for not charging my mom all that money. Thank you for showing us that it's just every man for himself in America. I hope to one day be able to repay you. Until then, I hope you'll accept this letter and this picture of a tree that I drew for you. The tree is a representation of my mom, and the leaves represent all the new hope you've given her. You've given her that people in America are kind. Sincerely, Mia Tang. All night, I worked on the tree, making little V's for branches and twigs, just as Lupe had taught me. I then drew leaves, hundreds and hundreds of little leaves, not rushing this time because the doctor did not rush with my mom. He took his time. It was 3 a.m. when I finally finished. Hank still wasn't home. From the lumpy living room sofa, I peered out of the window at the dark, eerie streets. I wondered what happened to him. Did he find those people? Did they hurt him? The worry festered in me until morning when I couldn't stand it any longer and told my dad we had to do something. Go to the police. Start searching the streets. Just as we were about to head out, Hank came limping back, wearing the same clothes as yesterday. His hair disheveled mess. What happened? I asked him. Hank sighed. You want the good news or the bad news? He asked.